Welcome to Beyond Borders, the world's first talk show made especially for English learners and global citizens. With me, your host, Ethan. In every episode of this show, it is my job to guide you outside of the classroom and into the real world with life-changing insights from some of the world's best teachers, language learners, innovators, and leaders, all here to help you unleash your highest potential in your English and your life. So if you are ready to join our movement of millions and together create a world beyond borders, then let's get started with the show. Hadar Shemesh at Hadar.AccentsWay on Instagram is an accent and fluency coach from Israel. But she hasn't always been so skilled speaking and teaching English. Her background is actually in theater. She moved to New York City when she was 21 to pursue acting, where she worked as a bartender at a jazz club to support herself. According to her, she used to get criticized because of her strong Israeli accent, but acting helped her become a diligent speech student. After five years in the USA, her visa expired and she was forced to move back to Israel, where she studied linguistics at the University of Tel Aviv. In 2015, she started producing content on a weekly basis. On her YouTube channel, Accents Way, and podcast, Influency, she helps you to speak English like yourself. She currently lives in Tel Aviv with her husband and two children. So I had an amazing conversation with Hadar. We start off talking about how we can often feel uncomfortable speaking a foreign language because we can't express our identity and her experience of this while living in New York. We discuss why it is less important than you think to speak like a native and much more important to discover how to speak like yourself and how you can choose better role models for your speaking. We cover extensively about native speakerism and discrimination towards English learners and non-native teachers, and how you can overcome imposter syndrome and share your passion with the world. We also touch on the recent conflict in Israel and how we can create empathetic dialogues about controversial topics. Hadar tells us what sets her new sound course apart from other pronunciation courses. It has already sold out, but you can get on the wait list for the next opening. And we wrapped up by playing a game with tongue twisters, which will help you to develop your pronunciation. And so much more. So no matter where you are on your language learning journey, whether you are a non-native teacher or a student, you will get a lot out of this interview. So let's jump in. All right. Uh, so Hadar, welcome to the show, or maybe I should say Baruchah Haba'ah. Baruchah Haba'ah, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you. And we actually got to do a collaboration, I think it's been maybe two or three years now. Yeah. So we've definitely had this kind of like on the, you know, on our to-do list for quite a while now. So just to start off, this could be a, a complete miss. I'm hoping that you'll get it, but I want to ask, who is Julia? Julia is um, a previous identity that I've assumed uh, <laughs> when I moved to the U.S. when I was 21. So when I moved to the U.S., to New York, my name is Hadar, right? And I was looking for a job. And every time I mentioned my name, people started asking me questions like, oh, where are you from? And, you know, what does that mean? What does Hadar mean? And started a 
conversation about my name being different and me being different. So I said, no, I want to immerse completely into this new culture, new place that I'm in. So I decided to name myself Julia and to create this fake identity of a New Yorker living in New York. And I was hoping that no one would ask me questions about my identity or my name or anything else related to where I'm from. Uh, of course, it didn't help because the moment I opened my mouth and I had a pretty distinct Israeli accent, um, people still asked me where I'm from. But for two years, I kept that name. And uh, even my closest friends, I had a boyfriend back then, everyone called me Julia. That was Julia. She she was an interesting character. <laughs> so you almost do think of her as like a, a different person, a different yeah. a different phase of your past and everything. It's a different phase. I mean it wasn't I wasn't very different. I was definitely exploring new things, you know, first time living on my own in a different country. You know, my family stayed back home, all my friends stayed back home. I didn't have a computer, like I was not connected to it. Like I started fresh. And I think that choosing a different name a allowed me to really start fresh. And I do think that in a way I was hoping to erase a part of my past and kind of like create a new identity, um, even though it was, of course, it was still me, but I was exploring a lot of new things. And then at some point, you know, I moved back to Israel and then moved back to the U.S. again to study acting. And I think back then I was like, coming to terms with who I am and my identity. I went back to Hadar, and then I started to bridge that uh, those two identities together. That's so interesting. Like, I, my name being Ethan, I always, like, have said that my parents gave me the, one of the worst possible names that you could give an American who, like, has ended up living abroad for most of my life <laughs> because, you know, that TH sound everywhere I go, it's just, it's a nightmare. But uh, I find this really interesting that, like, you had invented this American persona and everything because... I certainly feel like in every language that I've learned in different countries that I've lived in, almost like the person that I was speaking that language was a little bit different. And I think it allowed me to even discover certain parts of myself, kind of like going through those different parts of my life. So I'm kind of curious about your opinion on this as far as kind of English learners, I think, or any language learner really, a lot of people, they, they feel almost like a conflict within themselves when, when this happens, when they're, they're not able to carry over their identity that they feel in their first language, their second language. So what's your opinion as far as like, should people try to like just lean into that and, and create some sort of new persona in that language, even if they don't come up with a new name or anything, uh, or should they try to carry over and like really show their first persona in that they feel when they're speaking their native language? The question of all questions, right? It's such an interesting conversation uh, to have because on one hand, I can tell you my story and my own personal journey. And, you know, Julia is a part of it, but also as an actress, you know, I used to be an actress for several years. What I was about was is assuming new characters, right? Like understanding how I find myself in different personalities or different characters. So that was something that was really natural to me because of my because of what I did. So doing that in my own personal life just felt like an extension of my profession in a way. I don't think it was necessarily good, but I think it had its advantages because I was really surrendering to to change. I was not resisting it. I was open to it. I was challenging myself. 
So that was my story when, like, between the years of 20 and 30. And then I started teaching and I started coaching at the age of 20 when I went, moved back to Israel and I started doing some language coaching and pronunciation coaching. And all of a sudden I realized that for the most part, for people who try to assume that new identity, it doesn't set them free. What it does is just inhibits them more than anything else. First of all, I do think that it's really challenging to immerse completely in a language where you don't uh, live in that culture or live in that country. It has nothing to do with fluency, by the way, right? Like, I absolutely think that you can gain fluency and work on your pronunciation in a way that you become clear and fluid. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that identity. So, when you try to assume an identity that you don't, that is not natural to you, that's what it's going to feel like, not natural. At the same time, like, I think that so much goes into the human being, right? Like, there's so much, like, your, your personality and your psyche and your inner voice. And even in our native language, sometimes it's hard to understand what is, what authenticity is, right? Like, when are you authentic? When are you just trying to please the people around you? So when we add that aspect of another language, that's even more the case because you're, like, also thinking how people expect of you to sound and to speak. So you're, like, again, just trying to please other people because... Why do we want to assume a different identity? It's not that it's like this deep desire. It's not that it would be, you know, our deepest passion or fulfilling our dream. Ultimately, it's to fit in, right? To not experience bias and prejudice, to not being judged for who you are and where you're from. It's about other people seeing you. And I think that is a problem because if you operate from this external point of view, what people think about you and how you sound and how you speak, then you will never feel authentic. You will never feel like you're fully expressing yourself because you're constantly operating from like this external standpoint. So I think that when you try to assume a different identity, if it's because, you know, you are afraid of the consequences of you being yourself, I think that it's a lot more limiting and inhibiting than owning up your sounds and mistakes and where you're from and your history, because also that is your power. That is who you are, right? And sometimes it's for better and sometimes it's for worse. We learn how to manage it. But when we try to hide a part of ourselves, and this is what happened to me with Julia, like, you know, it, when someone says my name, Hadar, it holds so much emotion and, and, and it's so charged, where Julia was just another word. So when people used to call my name or say my name, it didn't have the same emotional reaction as when people say my real name, which is Hadar. So uh, I think that if we want to be complete, we have to come to peace with who we are, how we sound, and that is the secret for real freedom, the way I see it. Totally. It reminds me of the kind of concept of vulnerability in a sense that, you know, uh, courage really comes out of vulnerability. So what you're saying about being able to own up to your mistakes and almost seeing that as kind of like a part of, of the process and a part of the journey and everything is you're going to make lots and lots of these mistakes and just being open about that with the people that you speak with. You're still learning and everything, accepting that and it's okay. In some sense, maybe even some people might get to the point where they hate themselves and stuff. And I know a lot of perfectionists and stuff, they struggle so much 
just allowing themselves to be a learner, you know, allowing themselves to not be perfect, to kind of even feel a little bit like a child, right, when you're first starting out. So I really love that. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And I think the industry does not help with a certain ideal that is drawn, you know, whether it's fluent in three months or speak like a native or working on nuances that no one can hear and then it just makes the person feel incompetent. I think this is not helping and creates that sense of perfectionism. If you master this, you will succeed. Um, and I think that our job as educators and people who really deal with the language, you know, you deal with Spanish as a second language and you know what it's like and you know that unless you welcome those mistakes, it's like the, those vulnerable parts, that would be the only way for you to really feel courageous in the language. And I've also seen it with my students because in the first few years, I still had that mindset of let's, you know, it has to be perfect. It has to be like that exact sound. I would be very picky and I wouldn't talk about this whole mindset aspect and freedom and the results that I used to get for my students were not as powerful as when you do go deep, allow this freedom and help them change their mindset about what is the end goal and what are we really trying to achieve. Mm. So it's really like starting with that purpose, right? You're starting like even from a deeper place of, you know, why am I learning the language and everything rather than focusing, first of all, you know, on like, what are all my mistakes and stuff? What am I doing wrong? So focusing instead on like, why am I doing this, right? Exactly. Like our brain is anyway biased towards all the negative things. So if we focus on that in the language, I mean, it really takes up a lot of brain space. And then how will the words be available anyway, right? Like how would you be able to come up with the right structure? So you have to know what your motivation is. And it's not even, you know, I, I find that it's not even about becoming fluent or being, it's really like your, your self-identity, it's your self-worth, your self-esteem, how you're being respected by others. It's that one achievement that you owe to yourself and people struggle with that for years. I know you, you've seen that. There's always more that they want to achieve. It's not just, it's not just the language, it's just that English is a reflection of the things that we achieve for ourselves in life. And it's a personal achievement more than it's a language achievement when we feel free and fluent. I could not agree more. So uh, one thing that I really love about like your method, I think it really sets you apart and it really impressed me like last time that we talked um, and you kind of were just getting at this is that I feel like a lot of teachers out there, a lot of YouTube channels, podcasts and everything, they make this kind of like clickbait content saying like, you know, sound like a native, like you said, like fluent in three months or, you know, sound like a native. So many English schools promise this as well. And on the other hand, I feel like you go to your channel and the thing that I think really shines is that you're empowering learners to own their own individuality, their own voice. Um, I know I've heard you say a lot, like, speak like yourself. And I think in our research, like something we even, a quote from you that I really loved is, you said, every voice needs to be heard. And my work is to help eliminate all stereotypes, beliefs, and conventions that prevent speakers from feeling like they belong in a language that they weren't born into. So could you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much. And, uh, and I, you know, this is also why I love your work so much because I think we hold the same values that it's not about traction or trends or whatever because yes I am not gonna lie like I'm sure I paid a high price for not choosing certain content to talk about or share um, the whole stop saying this and this would make you sound you know 
like that and all of that that, that is really trending or used to be trending. Um, but it's a conscious choice to not promote native speakerism, which is this assumption that, you know, there is a sense of superiority based on where you're born. And it's not just well, what language you speak, that people who are native speakers are more superior and they have uh, a better ability to teach the language. And sometimes, you know, when it comes to applying for jobs, people look only for native speakers. So this is something that we need to uproot and to discuss because Everything that makes the non-native speaker sound like less than, we need to recognize and eliminate because there is nothing wrong about saying very, and there is nothing wrong about saying thank you, right? Like, and and it keeps generating like that those trends or those teachings. It keeps generating this notion that what you're doing is not enough. And as we talked about before, like I think it really, really inhibits people and it overwhelms them. They think, okay, so there is so much for me to learn. I will never be able to do this. And I'm like, no. As long as you can communicate your message, English belongs to you and you belong in English. And it doesn't matter if you know your parents spoke to you in that language or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you only have a limited number of words. The moment you are able to communicate and express your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, then this is your language too. And constantly comparing yourself to others creates this sense of inferiority. And when you operate from there, then it's not only that you won't be able to reach your fluency goals, it would also put you in a position of, you know, of constantly not being good enough. And anyway, as human beings, we experience that fear of not being good enough, the imposter syndrome and perfectionism because we want to please other people and how do people see us. And I think that the whole conversation around it and the lingo and the marketing is just perpetuating that. And this is why I think that responsible educators need to be conscious of that and not to take part in it even though it might be worthwhile or it might you know help you get seen more and also the same thing with schools that only hire native speakers why right like we 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 can't support that as a community as teachers because you know there is no reason why native speakers would be considered as better teachers than non-native speakers. I'm a non-native speaker. Does that mean that I'm not qualified to teach in any one of those schools? I have a community of, of teachers, of language teachers, and they're remarkable teachers, and 80% of them, because they're non-native speakers, won't be able to apply for certain jobs. So I think that this movement of stopping, like of changing how things work is so incredibly important, and I think we are all responsible to take part in it. It's not just about how you think about yourself and it's not just about, you know, what content you consume. It's also who you choose to learn from because I think that when you only follow the big names on YouTube, for example, then you can definitely see that there is like a dominant sound and a dominant color, and that does not represent English. That does not represent how varied English is. And then you go out to the real world and you come across all these different accents. Some of them are native, some of them are non-native. And then you're like, wait, is this incorrect because I don't know this? Or I don't even know how to listen to this because I was never exposed to it. So I think that as learners, we have the responsibility 
of recognizing that English has different sounds, different colors, and we definitely want to explore that as learners as well because there is so much freedom to the language. And I'm afraid that sometimes when, you know, when English is taught, we don't have the same freedom. No, there's like so many things that, uh, so many different ways that we could go on the different things that you commented there. So uh, kind of opened up Pandora's box in some sense. But I find this absolutely fascinating too, because I think that um, we can place the blame obviously like on schools and stuff that only hire natives, but like in the end, they're kind of providing what the market wants, right? And I think obviously a big thing that we have to re-educate, and I love what you said kind of about responsibility as content producers, as I guess public figures in the ESL world, uh, I think part of our responsibility is to kind of break this myth of the native speaker because you can, you can have like a wonderful native speaking teacher. You can have a native speaking teacher that doesn't know anything. It's like in school, uh, we like learn some of the grammar and stuff, but most, if you go to the United States or you go to the UK and you ask someone on the street, you know, why do you say this in such and such way? Most people are going to have no idea. They just know that it's said that way. So if you hire a native teacher, depending if they don't have a lot of experience, that could be what you're getting. And maybe that's good. If you just need conversation practice, maybe that's enough. But do know that like native speaker doesn't always mean better because you can have a non-native teacher who they really know their shit. I mean, they like love English. They've been learning it. If they speak the same language as you too, I mean, like if someone from Israel wanted to learn with Hadar, for example, it's like you've been through that same journey of going from Hebrew as a native language to having to learn English. So it's like you can probably explain the pronunciation really well, like how you figured out the pronunciation. You can explain, you know, why the grammar is different or something from how you would say it in Hebrew and how you would say it in English. So I think that this is really undervalued and, and it comes from, it has to come from like learners too that maybe depend, you have to like reflect a little bit on what do you need right now as an English learner and maybe a non-native English teacher will be much better for helping you to kind of get what you need right now. So you should definitely consider that and you shouldn't overlook that. And I think too, there needs to be like certain regulations maybe that don't allow schools to discriminate against non-native teachers. I mean, it needs to come down to, does this person, are they passionate about teaching and do they know how to teach, you know? So uh, that's kind of a rant, but I think it's, it's very important for if anyone's listening to this and they have that mindset. Yeah, like we have to discuss this because people are unaware. And now like I get people sending me DMs with photos of, oh, you know, uh, there is a position for native speaking teachers. And, and, and then, you know, we share it and we talk about it uh, because... I absolutely agree, like being a good teacher has nothing to do with the language you were born into, but with your skills and your passion for teaching, like you said, compassion and understanding what the student is going through. So that's what it's about. And I think we need to normalize it and to recognize that perfect English does not exist anyway. And standard English is also, you know, what is standard English? What are standard sounds to begin with? Someone that decided it, who is that person that decided that this is standard uh, American English, for example? Uh, who, who is the person in power that, that determined these sounds? So it's probably not someone who speaks, you know, native English born in Nigeria, for example. So we need to be aware of it and we need to understand that there is a lot of power that isn't involved here and we don't want to take part in it and to say or to answer back or to ask difficult questions when we see that because that's the only way to change. Most definitely. Couldn't agree more. So kind of just going back to, to something else that you were saying, um, you were kind of mentioning kind of this English 
in the real world in some sense of like what you're going to encounter when you go out there isn't necessarily just American English or it's not just British English. I think most people, especially I'm coming from like the European uh, perspective where kind of a boiling pot of different cultures and languages and stuff. But in general, if you're working in any business that's a global business, you're not going to just be speaking English with Americans. You're going to be speaking English with people in, in Israel, in Germany, in China, in Thailand and stuff. And so if you have only practiced speaking with Americans and you're watching all these videos like don't say thank you, don't say sorry, kind of like you were mentioning and stuff, and you're trying to use all these fancy alternatives, then those people might not understand you and you might not be prepared to really understand them. And, you know, I think uh, that's becoming more and more important is that you are able to participate in global English, not just American English yeah. or British English or whatever the kind of like standard or native English that you're learning is. Yeah. In fact, uh, and I recently read an article about it, usually, generally, native speakers are often misunderstood or are having a harder time communicating in a global setting. Right, so it's the native speakers who need to change to be more understood with, you know, without using all those sports idioms and, you know, like expressions and once in a blue moon where it's great to know, right? Definitely great to know. It's great to be able to use those. But I think that when it comes to global communication, we have a certain set of rules which, you know, requires people to be better listeners native and non-native speakers. So you need to train your ears to hear different voices. So going back to what you said, yes, like English doesn't have one sound. Open yourself up to different Englishes. But also, you know, yes, you need to modify your speech a little bit to be better understood. And again, like I think that's the job of the native speaker, but also that gives freedom for um, non-native speakers who would have the freedom of just like using basic vocabulary, you know, not going too fancy, not using expressions and doing really well. Uh, and I think it's something that is definitely important to remember. Most definitely. And I, I love to, um, I think you mentioned before something about people having the wrong sort of role models and something that we're trying to do more as well as like teaching in some sense with, with people who are non-native speakers and stuff, because there's so many of these great role models that you could take instead that uh, might help you to break away from this idea that you have to speak English like a native. So uh, we did a really great video. I mean, I really enjoyed making this video anyway uh, because just learning about Sofia Vergara and her journey and stuff. She, mm. I think she, a little bit similar to um, something that you were saying earlier, she was trying really hard to sound like an American and stuff. And she had mentioned that she was kind of losing her identity trying to do this. And at some point she was just like, you know, let me just, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to be myself and stuff. I'm going to accept the fact that I have an accent. And as soon as she did that, pretty much, she had the audition for Modern Family and she was, she was able to get that role and stuff. And obviously the rest is history. So I think you can see a lot of people like this, like Sofia Vergara, Penelope Cruz, uh, Shakira, like all these people who, it's not even despite their accent that they're famous, but it's almost because of their accent that they're really successful. So if you kind of see that as something that makes you who you are, makes you special and everything, you're going to be much more successful. And like then I think it's like the, the point where you're, you do need to correct those mistakes and you need to sound really clear and everything. But kind of seeing that as a beautiful part of yourself, right? Absolutely. And I think that the more people with accents... I mean, everyone has an accent, but let's say with an international or or a non-American standard accent, uh, dare to show up. The more we normalize 
different sounds and different voices. And then when there is more representation, then people dare more. Because right now, a child that grows up and watches Hollywood movies and Netflix, um, then the majority is like the sound of the, the most of the people who speak is very, very distinct and it, it doesn't sound like them. And I think that then they would be afraid to speak up in public or make videos because it doesn't sound right like English is supposed to sound. And I think that the more we normalize foreign accents, um, non-native accents, I think we would have more representation, more people would dare, more people would show up. You know, it's not a coincidence that I'm one of the only I wouldn't say only, but like there aren't a lot of non-native speaking teachers teaching in English on YouTube. There is a lot of criticism and a lot of crap that non-native teachers need to deal with when they speak in English. And that is a problem, right? Like it's the comments that we receive about our accents and our grammar and our typos, comments that native speakers usually don't have to deal with. I'm sure they deal with it as well, but it's, you know, it hits differently because if someone would respond or comment on my Hebrew, it wouldn't feel the same as when someone comments on my English, especially when I'm an authority in the in the industry, in, in the field, right? Like I, I'm teaching, I'm a teacher, so I need to, uh, I am an authority. So I think it's not a coincidence because people are afraid. People are afraid of criticism. People are afraid that if they have an accent, they wouldn't be considered as an authority. So I think that we want to see and we want to encourage more new speakers, non-native speakers of English to show up on YouTube and teach in English. And I love what you're saying that like you guys are starting to, to show that as a model because yes, this is exactly what we need to do. That's the way to do it. Um, and you know, YouTube has an algorithm, and if you follow a few people, you'll keep seeing the same type of videos and the same type of people that you follow. And again, you need to be conscious of that. So going back to what we said at the beginning, make sure you diversify your feed. Make sure you follow different teachers, people of color that have different accents, who are native speakers as well, to recognize that this is, you know, a lot of times I feel like, oh, they don't sound proper. What's proper? Right? Like, really? Like, an accent that is not standard white American is not proper? That's English. So, you have to deal with your biases when it starts with how you consume your content and who you follow. So, I think, and follow non-native speaking teachers as well, because, again, like you said, there are th things that non-native speaking teachers can teach you because that that are so unique and so precise to your journey because they've been through that journey themselves. So I think that there's so much added value to following both native and non-native speaking teachers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I wanted to come back to something you said before. You mentioned imposter syndrome. Uh, so I was wondering, could you tell the audience in case they've never heard that term before, what imposter syndrome is? And then we were kind of talking about like non-native teachers and, and people putting themselves, kind of coming back to vulnerability, being able to put themselves out there into the world and offer their value, offer their passion and stuff if that's something that they want to do, but that they're they're too scared to. Do you have like any tips for non-native teachers how they can overcome imposter syndrome and offer that passion to the world? Okay, so imposter syndrome is this feeling of, first of all, not being enough, uh, the inability to celebrate your achievements and successes because you think that 
inside you're a fraud and everyone is going to find out that you're a fraud sooner than later. So it's like, even if you were able to achieve something or do something that you should be proud of and other people, you know, admire you for it and and they recognize it, um, you can't own that because you feel that it was a fluke, right? And, you know, like maybe now it was, it worked out, but, you know, next time it happens, they're going to find out that I don't know English or I'm a bad teacher. And again, I think it's essentially this idea of not being good enough. It's like about 70% of the population experience imposter syndrome. It's a psychological pattern, uh, but it usually hits hard marginalized communities, people of color, women, LGBTQ, and, you know, from my perspective, also non-native speakers of English. Because any way you speak a second language that doesn't feel, you know, you don't feel like yourself to begin with. Uh, And remember that pattern is like you against the world, like how you see yourself versus how the world sees you. And all of a sudden you add that other filter that, you know, like takes away your superpowers and your uh, sometimes identity. Um, So that feeling like a fraud is even bigger. And then as a teacher, you also have to become an authority and teach and tell other people what to do in a language that sometimes you feel insecure in. Because, you know, even me till this day, there are moments where I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. I don't know how to say this. Um, You know, which preposition should I use? And when it's not your native language, there's always going to be that small doubt, no matter where you reach. And that is okay. Like, if you try to resent that, that is the problem. That is like the ongoing battle. That is the fact, that is what causes this, this imposter syndrome. Like, you need to accept that. So how to battle it is basically to recognize that it's something that happens. It's not you. It happens to almost everyone, especially everyone in your position. So once you recognize that it's not just you and it's not your fault, then it makes it a little easier and you're like, okay, it's just my brain playing tricks on me, right? My brain is using patterns because of how I was brought up or how I was, you know, who was I was exposed to and all of these things. We're not going to go into it, but it's just my brain playing tricks. I can shift, right? I can reframe that thought. Um, And then you need to develop healthy thought patterns. So the imposter syndrome is those voices that say, oh, you're not going to do it. It's not for you. Oh, you're fake. They're going to find out you're a fraud. They're going to realize that you're not, you don't know English good enough to teach. So all those things come up. Um, You need to say, okay, I recognize this fear. I recognize these voices. Take the back seat. Right? And then to reframe it, to come up with a positive, whether it's affirmation or a sentence or something that you keep saying to yourself. My words are important and people need to hear what I say. I change people's lives with English. I, what I have to say matters. I matter, right? So whatever works for you, I'm here to make a difference. And it takes the space of those negative thoughts and you know, positive thoughts generate positive feelings and positive feelings lead to take action. It's easier to take action when you feel better than when you feel depressed or insecure. So when you're insecure and you allow those thoughts to consume you, you are less likely to take real action that will actually change the results in your life. So when you're positive, you actually take action and you dare more. Also make a list of all the good things that people said to you. And if you're a non-native English teacher, 
then you can write all the good things that your students have said about how what you've done for them and come back to it. I have a folder in my um, in my inbox of emails that I've received from students in the past, and we also have a Slack channel on the team where we just post student successes there. And first of all, we always go back to it as a team to remind ourselves what it is that we're doing and what we, you know why we're here to begin with. But I personally go back to it when I feel discouraged or when I start feeling the fear and imposterism and all of that because I experience it too. So I go there and I remind myself what's really important and that I matter and that helps me kind of like get past it. So all of these things, it's not like you can't do this and, and eliminate imposter syndrome. It will stay with you. You just need to manage it. You just need to manage it and then it will show up less and less in your life. The most important thing is that you don't let it stop you, achieve the results that you want in your life because then you'll always regret because imposter syndrome is again about what other people think about you. And when you don't do things because of what other people think about you, then you prioritize other people's opinions over your self-expression. And that is a problem. Definitely. <laughs> I think I hope like people listening that that can kind of like empower them and stuff. I love that idea of like keeping some sort of resource of compliments that you've gotten of like good things, of positive thoughts, of affirmations and things like this that when you're feeling down or you you feel, you know, like a fraud or whatever, that you can kind of come back to that. Whether you're a teacher, I think that's great for learners too as well though, because it's, it's like you said, anytime you're speaking another language, I, I definitely like, I've been speaking Spanish for like, it kind of blows my mind, I think for over 10 years now. And I mean, I, I still make mistakes all the time and stuff. And I think like sometimes it's nice to have that self-love that you can go to, that you can kind of cultivate almost like a, a meditation in some sense. I have a question for you as an American speaking Spanish. Um, do you feel that there is more acceptance and freedom for you as an English speaker speaking Spanish versus, let's say, a Spanish speaker speaking English in an English-speaking com community? It's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if I'm an authority on that, so I, I probably would be... Um, I would take like what, what I'd respond to that with a grain of salt, but I think like just thinking about Americans and that there's a lack of education in the United States, like the people can be surprising for some people. And one thing that I've noticed sometimes is people will confuse like Spanish speaker is like from Spain with like Mexican or something like that. And, and there tends to be kind of like a, a certain discrimination in, in that sense. And so I think, yes, I think like you could have like challenges with that, that people maybe think that you know you speak Spanish, so you must be from a poor country. You must be less educated. You must be an illegal immigrant or something like that. I'm thinking of someone going to the United States. Um, I don't think that that would be like the general trend. I think you can meet a lot of wonderful people, but uh, there's, I mean, I'm not so proud of it. In the States, there's also like a lot of parts where people can, there are people who aren't so educated. There's a lot of ignorance, there's racism and everything. Um, and I think obviously me being a white American, I don't experience that so much, you know, living in Europe. So I would certainly say that. And I think too, from like, um, for example, living in Brazil, learning Portuguese and being someone who would be there would be considered blonde and like blue eyed and everything. I think there's definitely like, um, there's a certain discrimination. And, and it was really interesting because we were actually talking on our team, like Nia, who helps me to kind of like prepare these interviews and she she does like a lot of the scripts and stuff for our content. Uh, and she's a Brazilian teacher. Uh, we were kind of talking about like preparing some sort of lesson on how people tend to think because, you know, that they come from a, 
let's say a country like Brazil, that native speakers, that they're, they're better because of it. It's almost like a classist thing in some sense, or that, you know, you're lesser because maybe you come from a country like that. So I think that that's almost, that links really well to, to the imposter syndrome is like, not thinking you're good enough because maybe you come from a, a poor country or something. But obviously, we've seen plenty of examples out there of people who come from very difficult backgrounds and stuff, and they're able to be successful despite that, or or even because of like lessons they've learned from that. So, say like use that to empower you and not to and not to let you down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's always prejudice, right? And like what you're describing and and bias. And and a lot of times people are unaware of their bias. Like they hear someone speaking with an accent, they would automatically assume, like you said, they come from a poor country or they they don't know English because they have an accent um, and they might be even less uh, patient with them sometimes. Not always, like of course not always. Like I, I, I'm, just, I'm just hearing stories of my students working in call centers and experiencing that impatience and I'm, 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 I know that this is part of their day-to-day life and this is why they struggle with. So no wonder they want to sound like natives because they don't yeah. want to experience these things. And, and I think that it's our job you know, you're very conscious and aware and you work in this industry, so you know what it's like to, how you want people to respond to speakers of a language that are that, that is not their first language. But I think that while we work on sounding clear and owning up our voice and expressing ourselves, I think there is a part to the work that we do that needs to teach people how to listen with patience and how to hear different accents and how to become more attentive. Um, there was a research done um, that was discussed in the book, How We Speak. They took a group of people and they asked them to listen to different speakers. One group was white speakers from the US and other group, another group was speakers of English, native speakers of English of Korean descent. But both groups were born in the same place, so they had the same accent. And the listeners reported that it was harder for them to understand the group uh, which was of Korean descent, even though they sounded absolutely the same. So we really listen through the filter of like all these opinions and biases and, and ideas about what we should expect to hear. And I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Definitely. If we really want to make a difference. Most definitely. I guess in like some sense too, maybe not taking it so personally, maybe when, when this happens and stuff. And I think in some sense, it's not just a lack of patience, it's a lack of empathy. Uh, like uh, something I was listening to recently was talking about how, you know, imagine that you lose your baggage and everything and you have to go to the kind of like lost baggage counter when you're, when you're traveling and stuff. Most people, they'll just like take it all out. They'll, they'll take all their anger out on this person. And, and it was kind of talking about, you know, like flipping the switch and, and kind of putting yourself in their shoes and imagine like, uh, almost bring gratitude out of it that you don't have that person's job because like, imagine that you're there all day, people taking their anger out on you. Uh, because you lost their baggage, you're probably there from like 5.30 in the morning from when the first flights are coming in and everything. And and so if we could come from this place, this lens of empathy instead of judgment or impatience, like you were saying, uh, then it's kind of like we're, we're going to be able to, to kind of set a, a good model for creating a better world, creating a world beyond borders as, as we're, you know, uh, is our big vision. So... I really love that, that you say that. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it should be mandatory for people to learn a second language. I, I totally agree. <laughs> for everyone, right? Everyone should learn a second language. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially be, be obligatory to like go live abroad too and, 
in a, in a country where the language isn't your native language. Exactly. Hey there, Real Lifer. Just a quick break from this episode to share a big announcement with you about the recent launch of the brand new Real Life English app, where Ollie, Andrea, and I, your Real Life Fluency Coaches, will guide you beyond the classroom to live, learn, and literally speak English in the real world, which is to understand natives, speak with anyone, and connect to the world. So how do we accomplish that with our app? To start with, you can listen to the Real Life English podcast, even this very episode, with digital transcripts so that you can follow along and develop your listening fluency, plus check dozens of definitions of all the most difficult vocab, idioms, phrasal verbs, slang, and much more that you won't find anywhere else or in any other podcast. And how would you like to develop real-life speaking confidence at the touch of a button by speaking with other learners while making friends across cultures? Sounds like a dream, right? Well, now with the real-life app, it will be a dream come true. Download the app to listen to our podcast with transcripts and definitions whenever and wherever you want and speak with people from all around the world. What are you waiting for? Join our global community today by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or going to www.reallifeglobal.com app or search for the Real Life English app in the Google Play or Apple App Store today. And let us guide you beyond the classroom to live and learn and speak English in the real world. Aw, yeah. All right, so maybe I'll pivot somewhere else. You're from, from Israel, and, and I think a lot of the listeners, they probably heard kind of like the conflict going on there. And kind of in doing our research, I really loved something that you shared, a post that you made on Instagram about this. I imagine probably a lot of your community, knowing you're from Israel, kind of like asked your opinion on it. So I wanted to um, read this because I thought it really hit the nail on the head and, and then kind of just ask you some questions about it. So you said, creating a community, I was hoping that we could have and foster a safe and constructive place for discussion, see the other and learn from each other. This is usually the case and the love and harmony here is indeed beyond my wildest dreams. But it's not always easy to navigate this situation when the government of the country I live in is responsible for actions that cause deep pain to so many people in this community. While emotions are high, please try to see beyond the propaganda and really listen to each other. And let's focus here on one, what and how you feel, two, what you know, three, what your standpoint is. Difficult as it may be, try to reflect about the connections between feelings, information, and positions. Please be respectful. So I think in an ever more globalized world, something that I think is becoming like more and more crucial is really to create environments where people can have like high-level empathetic conversations about controversial topics like this. And obviously, Israel is a, is a really big one. So how do you believe or, or how are you doing this in your own community? How can we create an empathetic dialogue about these sorts of topics? Well, first of all, we need to address them. It's so easy to say, no, that's politics and we are here to learn English, but English is life and our life is, you know, everything is connected and we can't 
you know, talk about self-expression and equality and native speakerism if we don't if we don't talk about freedom for everybody and equality and gender equality and and social equality, right? And social justice. Like I don't think these things are disconnected. A lot of people don't agree with me and, you know, I have paid a price for speaking up for this and for other things in the past, but you know, this is what I believe in because I want that for my students and also um, as you know, I have a, a big community on Facebook, the influencing community of people from all around the world. And we, we do talk about these things. And I felt that in this case, not to talk about something that is so close to home would be hypocrisy. Because I can't talk about Black Lives Matter or what's happening in Colombia if I'm not uh, and, and not talk about this conflict, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. So I'm not going to lie, it's not, it wasn't easy because in my community we really have people with very distinct opinions that are opposing. Um, so to be able to navigate that required a lot of attention and also trust that people would be able to do it. And while some people were not appreciative of this conversation, most people were. And we were able to foster and a good discussion where people express their pain or what they're feeling. Again, this is such a hot topic. This is such a, an emotional topic. So again, saying that it wasn't easy would be an understatement um, for the people involved and for me, but we were able to contain it. And I think, you know, allowing this is a reminder for everyone that English is a bridge and is an opportunity to bridge between people that usually don't have that place of contact. And I know that a lot of Arab speakers or people from the Arab community did change their perspective towards some things that are happening. So, you know, it's not all evil. And sometimes people do care about Palestinian rights if we're talking about this specific conflict. And some Israelis that were in the community listened and saw that it's, you know, because usually when you listen to the media, you're only getting one side. And all of a sudden they had this ability of seeing other people experiencing these things. You know, in my community, we, we have Palestinians and Israelis in the same place. And again, Usually it's a place of just conversation and communication. So we needed to be able to hold that even when we're talking about these extreme topics. And I think that if it wasn't right for people, then some people left. Some people did not want to take part in this. And I think that that is okay because this is what I stand for. This is what the community stands for. And I think that as educators, we need to have this responsibility and to take a stance and to show our students that it's important to talk about these things because that gives them permission to talk about what matters to them. What do we project or, you know, what are we saying if we keep quiet about the things that matter the most to us? So we need to be role models and be like, I'm going to, I'm asking you to speak up when it's hard. I'm going to speak up when it's hard and when there are all these, you know, consequences that I might have to face, that I have faced. But it's part of life and this is our ongoing journey and we need this transparency to be able to move past it. Most definitely. I think that it's just like so important. I love what you said, like English is like a bridge to start having conversations around these topics. Um, I love that hearing that like, you know, in your community, you're not tiptoeing around these kind of issues. You're using it as an opportunity for people to practice their English having conversations about these topics. And that's something that's really important to us as well as um, kind of like building an app to connect English learners to speak to each other and everything. And how can we start 
giving people opportunities to have conversations around these, about these topics, from a place that isn't filtered so much by judgment, that you're able to be empathetic, put yourself in the other person's shoes, and not judge so quickly, and, and start seeing each other that, like, we're, we're all human. And, you know, whether, you know, you're on the Israeli side of the border or the, the Palestinian side of the border, that it's both people, and they don't necessarily, these individuals aren't necessarily also represented so much by their government. Just because the government is going against Palestine, that doesn't mean that every Israeli hates Palestinians and just, you know, aren't the same thing from the other way around. And I think with anything, with any example of, like, conflict between different cultures, different backgrounds, different religions and stuff, it's always good to keep in mind, you know, these people are humans. They have the same wants, the same needs. Like, what unites us as human beings is far greater than the superficial things that divide us as different cultures, different religions. And I wanted to kind of like talk about your course, but before we roll into that, uh, as long as we're on this topic, I kind of wanted to ask, do you think like coming from Israel, which I think people maybe listening to this don't know so much about Israel, but I think it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been there and I have like the, the Jewish descendants and everything. Um, so I felt like a strong connection there and everything, but it's definitely a place that's very special as being a melting pot a little bit similar to the United States because a lot of everyone, not everyone, but most people that live there, uh, their ancestors were immigrants and stuff. So I saw your your grandmothers came from like Libya and Iraq. And I think that's just like one small example. People in Israel come from all over and you also have so many different religions and stuff. So uh, do you think coming from a place like Israel that is this sort of melting pot, do you think that that gives you a, u- a unique perspective as an English teacher? That's such a great question. I don't think I was asked this question before. Absolutely, I think that the need, this is a realization that I had just recently. I think the need to help people find their voice has to do with you know my, my ancestors and my grandmothers. So I'm a Mizrahi Jew, which means um, that my uh, grandparents are from the Middle East. And I consider myself, like I'm, I'm a lot more associated with the Arab culture, for example, than you know, Ashkenazi Jews that is more European, because this is, my, this is you know, what I was raised into. My, my, my dad moved from Iraq here when he was three, so you know, he still remembers things from there. And my, you know, we, they spoke Arabic at home. And seeing my grandmothers not being able to communicate in Hebrew, right? But having, you know, these passionate women that were like deep forces and they weren't able to communicate with me properly, only with basic words. And the fact that I was not taught the language, right? There was like this distinction that was constantly, that was constantly around language and around, you know, identity. And I was raised into an Israeli culture, which was like a new culture. What's Israeli culture anyway? When I grew up, like it's not a Western culture. And so this like hybrid between you know what I uh, what I was exposed to at home to what I've seen on TV and what I've seen at my friend's house that was really different so I think that as a child I was constantly dealing with this question of identity and was constantly dealing with hearing languages around me and trying to to help my grandma you know understand me or express herself and I think that that need to connect through language has been with me since since I was a little girl, and I think that that definitely something that I carried over and, and, and brought into what I do now. That's absolutely fascinating. I had no idea that you kind of grew up like even even around like uh, Arabic speakers and everything. So I'm sure that had an influence as well. Just hearing different languages and everything. 
to kind of build that that fascination. Yeah, and and no, I just remembered something. I remember that like my grandparents who spoke um, Arabic, they also spoke Italian, but they didn't teach because um, Tripoli was uh, Libya was an Italian colony, and they spoke Italian, but they didn't teach my mom Italian, and my mom was so upset with them because they didn't want her to understand them, and they, she was so upset with them because that gave her like that she felt limited for not having that language. So it's really like language is power, right? When you know more languages, you, you're like, you're absolutely more powerful. I, I love that. I, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely, um, there's something special. There's like a quote uh, that I think is from Nelson Mandela. That's like, you know, when you speak to a man in a language that he understands, that goes to his head. But when you speak to him in his language, that goes to his heart. And obviously, like, uh, English is the global language and stuff. And that's, that's not to say that we can't all communicate in English and, and be able to can connect to each other's hearts and stuff, but uh, I, as a language learner and someone who's had a lot of opportunities to, to travel, um, which I'm very grateful for, I definitely notice a big difference. It's like anytime I go to a country, it's like a lot of countries that I never would have thought I wanted to learn the language, it's like I'm always drawn to at least wanting to learn some words because it makes me feel like I can connect more to the people there. So absolutely love that. So I want to make sure we make time uh, to so you can tell our listeners about your new course. So I saw that you've you've just launched this new voice course, and I wanted to. There's so many experts out there on YouTube about pronunciation and accent reduction and things like this. So what would you say that? sets new voice apart from other pronunciation courses. So it's new sound, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's okay. But I think that there are so many elements and so many moving parts that go into a real transformation, right? Like that go into getting you the results that you want. And it's funny because only a part of it has to do with the actual language. Uh, only a part of it has to do with the knowledge that you acquire. This is why, you know, on YouTube you can find endless knowledge. You can find everything for free on YouTube, yet people don't get the results that they want. People are still struggling. Why? Because, as I said, like, first of all, you need a, a strategy that works. You need a system that allows you to take the information and implement it. And you know, usually English teaching is all about the information, but you need to, like, it's up to you to take it and to implement it. And just practicing more speaking is usually not enough for most people if they don't have that guidance. And the whole mindset thing that we talked about, right, like imposter syndrome, perfectionism, um, all those negative limiting thoughts, lack of focus, lack of clarity, all of these things that we think it's just a byproduct of English. Our English is not good enough. This is why I feel they don't understand that it's like it's really hindering their progress and they need to tackle it not by just practicing more, but by changing their mindset. So mindset is a huge part. Also, practice is okay, but you need to practice effectively. So there is you know what I uh, what I call high performance English practice, where you need to practice in a way that you know is working, that you know gets your results, and this is part of what I incorporate in the program. 
And also this whole idea of habits, like, you know, what is the language? It's speaking habits, right? Like how you're used to saying something, something that you repeatedly do until it becomes automatic. So if we think about a language as habits, then it's a lot easier to change and not just something that you need to know. So understanding habits, how we form habits, not only helps you with changing your speaking habits if you want, but also forming healthy learning habits that will get you to the finish line. How many times people start a course and then they finish in the middle or they don't finish, they, they quit in the middle or they don't get to the finish line or they, they think it's not going to work for them and then they give up too soon. So part of the program is to teach them how to get to the finish line. So to give them the tool to consume the content that is there, because as I said, there are all these moving pieces that need to be integrated to a real transformation. And I think that if we want the language to be effective, then we need to take that into consideration. And of course, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I really believe that community is a huge part of the learning and a huge part of the work and it holds you accountable. So a, a big part of, of the course is the community and doing it with other people. So that's what New Sound is about. That's absolutely fantastic because I, I think those things, they're so important, obviously, for your English, like working on your mindset, um, learning how habits work and like how to create the right habits. But it's like if you do this for your English, then you can, there, there's nothing stopping you from then like applying those things or from those things also benefiting other areas of your life. So that's something we focus on a lot of too is like don't just learn English as a language. It's not like something you're studying out of book. It's something that in so many levels can really improve the rest of your life if, you're, if you kind of have the right method. So that sounds absolutely fantastic, and we'll definitely put. Uh, I'm not sure if it's even open anymore because I, I saw that you were kind of doing like a. No, we just closed registration. Just we're close. doing it twice a year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But can people like sign up for a wait list or something like that? Absolutely. Yes. So we'll we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. So just to kind of like wrap up, maybe a final question: If you could give a TED Talk or create a video on your channel that every English learner in the world would see, what would the topic? or your message be? <laughs> well, probably about how Speak Like a Native has uh, messed up our, um, our understanding of fluency and is really killing the ability of non-native speakers to succeed in English. And um, talking about native speakerism and how the industry needs to change for it to stop failing English learners. So I think it's probably going to be about that. There's actually just a last question I have because like something I was kind of curious about um, being that you're really a champion of this message of like you don't need to speak like a native and kind of like we were talking about there's so many clickbaity videos out there that take advantage of this and stuff. But you have like almost a flawless American accent. So I was just kind of curious, um, do you get much criticism from like learners saying something along the lines like, okay, it's easy for you to say that it's not important to sound like a native when you already sound like one or something like that. And if you do, then how do you tend to respond to that? Uh, so this is a great question. Actually, I don't get asked uh, by my followers uh, this question, but I ask this question myself. Like, you know, I always remind myself that I am privileged. I do have the privilege of sounding like a native speaker for the most part. And as a result, you know, I do have access to things that people with an accent don't have. I do have access to people who don't sound like an American, who don't have a standard accent, uh, don't have. So I recognize that. And 
I think that the result, like what we see now, is the result of you know the first few years of me dealing with English, being perfectionist, being a perfectionist, um, and recognizing that it has changed my the way I speak, but it also created a lot of insecurities because at some point I, you know, my English level, I sounded like a native, but my English was not a native English. So I constantly felt insecure again, like an imposter. People are going to hear those mistakes and they're going to be like, what? We thought that you're a native. So I think that that created a lot of insecurities for me. And I have gone through this emotional and mindset transformation around my English and around how I present my English. So I'm now left with the result of the first few years of my journey, um, but I know the impact that it had and I, how I could easily fall into that rabbit hole of you know, constantly feeling like I need to keep on improving my English. But I still think that the internal process is what counts. So the result, like I also have a lot of students that sound amazing and they still feel so completely insecure, right? Like, or so, uh, they, they hear all those things and I'm like, I don't hear those things. What are you talking about? This is not like, it's all in your head. Um, so I think that more than what it is about when you hear it, right? Like more than what comes out, it's more about what happens here. And this is what we need to change. Definitely. All right. So, uh, before we end, we have a quick game. I think it should take like two minutes. Um, so tongue twisters Ooh. are something that are really great for pronunciation, especially because they usually focus on certain sounds. Um, and I saw actually that you teach these on your Instagram. So we'll definitely link to your Instagram in the, the show notes if people want to go over there and kind of like do some of these exercises that you have on there. Um, but you and I are going to do a challenge really quickly where we're going to try to say eight tongue twisters in under 90 seconds. So for those of you listening, you can try to shadow us while, while we're doing this. Are you ready? Yes. She sells seashells by the seashore. I saw a kitten eating chicken in the kitchen. If two witches would watch two watches, which witch would watch which watch? How many berries could a bear berry carry if a bear berry could carry berries? Betty Butter bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. But a bit of better butter will make my batter better. So twas better Betty Butter bought a bit of better butter. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where is the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? I know this one. <laughs> You know it by heart, right? And I love this one. This is this one is really good for practicing the aspirated P, Peter, and the high E sound too. There you go. I think that was the last one. We had 20 seconds to Ooh, spare. So we did it. <laughs> we did. High five, my friend. Yes. So basically, just to wrap up, thanks so much, Hadar. It's been an absolute delight. I have so many questions still, so we definitely need to do a part two at some point. Uh, but just yes. before we wrap up, I wanted to uh, see if you have any asks for our audience. So, yes. Uh, first of all, I think that the most important thing is that you take action. So, you know, it, now you're probably watching this on YouTube and it's great, but, you know, like the, the, the moment you learn something, you need to put it into practice because that is what really moves the needle in your communication. So take a lot of action, turn passive into active and really dare because like you said at the beginning, you know, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, that's where 
courage comes from, and that's where you gain confidence. So I really want you to encourage you to do that. Make mistakes because that's the only way to learn, and you know the world needs to hear what you have to say. I love that. And finally, where can people find you? Where's the best place for them to see everything that you're doing? Or to get in contact, maybe. Yes. So on Instagram, I'm at hadar.accentsway. And on YouTube, I'm Accentsway English with Hadar on Facebook as well. And I also have a podcast called The Influency Podcast for those who like to consume their content through their ears. (laughs) Yeah, I listened to a couple episodes in uh, preparation for this. So that's a really great way, if you've enjoyed this, to continue learning with Hadar. So... Again, thanks so much, Hadar, for all of your time today. It's been enlightening, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Ethan, it was amazing. You're such a great conversation partner, and me too. I can't wait to continue this conversation with you. Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the interview. You can find all the mentioned links and resources from this show on the show notes at reallifeglobal.com. It is also linked in the description of this episode. If English fluency is important to you, then remember to check out our Real Life app, where you can practice listening to native speech and speak with other learners from around the world while also discovering new cultures. You will find that linked in the description, or just search for Real Life English in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. For now, remember that no matter what divides us, that which unites us is far greater. See you on the next show.